This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is sponsored by The Fire Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting thefirestore.com. Welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzo. I'm a firefighter EMT from Wisconsin. Uh, also, I'm a contrarian writer with Fire Rescue One. And uh, with me, as always, is the editor-in-chief of Fire Rescue One, the captain of the ship, Janelle Fosquet. Janelle, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Sam? I'm good. I'm very excited. I have a good friend, and I, I like to call him a mentor. It's Chief John Oaks with us today who um, he's a very, very intelligent man. He's very energetic. And we're going to talk a little bit about how to, we're going to talk about talking to the different generations. <laughs> but first I want to say, how are you doing, Chief? Thanks for being here. I am, I am fantastic. It's a, it's a great day to sit and have a conversation with you guys about, about fire stuff. It's all good. What a great day. About fire stuff and people stuff. And uh, we've already been talking about a half an hour behind the scenes. And Janelle gave me the evil look to say, hey, let's record this because that's what people want to hear. <laughs> uh, right. Um, so, Chief, uh, you, you've been, you're the CEO of International Public Safety Data Institute. You've served as chief of East Hartford, Connecticut Fire Department. You've been a longtime contributor to NFFF's Everyone Goes Home program. You uh, serve as a member of the Behavioral Health Advisory Committee with um First Responder Center for Excellence. Thank you for doing that. You're also on the NFPA Committee for Motorsports, Active Shooter, and Data. We'll may have to dive into that a little bit because that's quite a diverse grouping there. Uh, you've uh, been intricate with the um, and, and pivotal for, for launching the National Firefighter Registry. And uh, most importantly, you're also a de facto advisor for Janelle and Fire Rescue's uh, One's What Firefighters Want Annual Survey. And again, a big thank you for that. Uh, you know, we, we, we kind of started talking about generations and what the differences are and do they even exist? And, and I asked you, I said, you know, what are you really passionate about? Uh, you know, when, when we talk about that or ask that question and, uh, and you had a great response to that. So I, I think it's, so it, the, the conversation started, started with, you know, with the FR1, what firefighters want. Um, survey and we're parsing through that data and, and figuring out looking at the results and and one of the one of the questions there, there started to be this theme of of the respondents are like new kids don't want to do blank or can't do this or don't know this or don't want to work or can't work hard all this stuff and i'm like can we just stop or retire the it's a generational thing for once and and that's when i you know shared it and I, I shared it as as more of a a mild frustration or a little bit of comedy with with Janelle and Janelle's like yes absolutely let's have this conversation but I think it's it's part of it I it feels like a cop-out because it's it's too easy to go like well it's just because they're a younger generation they don't know anything or they don't do anything or they're not willing to work harder they're not gonna whatever the, the silliness is that we come up with I think is unfair I think it lumps a whole bunch of disparate people into a pile just based on perhaps what their birth date was, which, oh, by the way, the generational classifications are really kind of arbitrary. Um, so I think it's just, it's an interesting thread to pull, particularly with some of the conversations going on in the in the fire service today. And I think it's, it's shortchanging the conversation to just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, nah, that's millennials, or that's, you know, Gen Z or whatever the iGen or whatever the, 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 the current terminology is, is way too convenient and way too short-sighted. 
and you've experienced that firsthand. You know, that's that's what I, I why I think you're very passionate about this because you're like, wait a minute, this isn't new. This is this has been going on since the fire service, right? Tell us a little bit about your experience with that. I, I you know, I was I was fortunate. I, I grew up a, a cornfield and two houses away from the local volunteer firehouse. My dad was a volunteer for 50 years. Um, I joined the volunteer fire department the day I turned 18. I went away to college. The college had its own fire department, yay, Franklin Pierce University. Thank you very much. Uh, the, the little small town in New Hampshire had their own fire department. Um, you can see a trend here. I was very distracted during my undergraduate time and because I was running fire calls all over the place. Um, graduated and got hired in a career fire department at, at the age of 22. So I was, you know, the youngest kid, you know, in the group that got, got hired. And I, you know, made battalion chief, you know, at 30. I made, you know, retired, went and became fire chief at 42. Um, I was always the youngest guy in the room. I, you know, we were sharing before. I, you know, the very first overtime that I ever worked in a career department, I'm sitting in the in the firehouse, and everybody else in the station on duty at that point in time came on the department before I was born. So it, you know, and here I am, this kid, you know, really enthusiastic with a college degree, surrounded by a bunch of curmudgeonly, you know, older gentlemen that you know, we're of a different generation and it would have been easy for them to, you know, to just check off and go like that stupid college kid, what's he going to do? But they did. And and that was a theme throughout, you know, being always being the youngest guy in the room, regardless of what the conversation was up until now. Now I'm like, I'm like old, I got gray hair. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's still that, that, you know, it, it, it still interests me because I, I lived it for such a huge segment of my fire service career. But they supported you, right? Although, you know, of course, they razzed you. They said, what are you going to do, kids? Yeah. Throw books at the fire, right? That's that's yeah. part of the, the culture of this. But you mentioned that you said they, they, they supported you. Obviously, they're going to give you some guff along the way. But they also uh, went out of their way to, to make sure that you uh, were part of the system and educated. And, and that was, you know, why it, it, it's important now to, to, to pay that back, because I got you know, I got exposed to some really, really sharp minds and skilled firefighters and talented people and good leaders, regardless of rank, that you could learn from and go like, all right, here's, here's how to wind yourself. Because there's a big difference going from, you know, a volunteer fire department in a small rural community to, you know, a career department in a community serving a, a you know, fairly dense population, 65,000 people. Um, it is different. So, yeah, to, to learn all of those nuanced pieces and learn about and understand the community, because I didn't I didn't grow up there. I didn't know anything about the community and, and the department. And I didn't have any family there. I didn't have a hook to get hired. I just, you know, got got lucky in the system. Um, and, and yeah, to take advantage of all that and to, to suck in every bit of knowledge, both the stuff that you tuck in the back of your brain and the other parts that you look at and go like, I'm not the smartest guy around, but I know that right there. I don't want to do that. That's not that's not the shiny example of what I want to follow. And tuck that in the back of your mind and go like, in that same position, don't do that because it didn't work, or that person wasn't you know kind, polite, helpful, whatever the things are that we want to do. So, so yeah, it's it. I was lucky in that in that regard to to be exposed to to people that you know contributed along the way and and still do, quite frankly. So, do you think do you think that there is a generational difference? I think any differences that we, I shouldn't say that, differences that we experience, particularly in the firehouse, I think can be more directly attributed to where people are in their life, i.e. life, the, the subject of lifespan development, 
than some arbitrary characteristic applied to them based on when they were born. Because as I said, what if you are the mom that's having a child and you went into labor on the last day of one generation <laughs> and the child was born on the first day of the next generation? What do we classify him or her? That it, it, it's, it's, it's arbitrary. You look at the spacing. The spacing is, is, you know, it's 15 years here. It's 16 years here. It's 18 years here. It's seven years here. It's, it's not grounded in, in a lot of empirical research. So I think when you look at what we're challenged with in the, in the fire service, and I said, I had a bunch of, of older males at the time that, that came out of, came out of Vietnam, came out of military service, you know, that came out of a factory and then, then we're working in the fire service. And then you had this bunch of snot-nosed college kids that came along and then the generation that that came after me you know you started seeing you know high school and college athletes and then you saw you know the the next generation of people and you know all all along it's just people are people and i think the sooner we understand that it, the, the better off we are and to look at where you know the three pieces where are you where's the organization where are these humans and how do we get that all to come together in a way that provides the best service to the community and takes care of the people that are that are showing up to work Again, work whether it's fire service, volunteer career combination. I don't care what you look at providing service to the community every single day. Well, and you mentioned the lifespan uh, term there in terms of instead of it being generational, it's based on lifespan. Can you explain that a little bit more about kind of how people become how they are that then gets lumped into these generational cohort designations? Sure, I'll, I'll use a I'll, I'll use a, a little wonky description, and I'll use a really fire service description. So the 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 concept of lifespan development is is you are you know depending on your lens and how you how you grew up, what you're exposed to through your formative years, through your educational system, things like that, help form your lens and how you see the world and what what you are equipped with with how you deal with resilience, with how you deal with people, how your you know what your academic background is, what your what your manipulative skills, what you know you're able to do with your hands, whether it's Hit a golf ball, throw a football, you know, flow a two and a half. All those things are developed throughout your entire growth period. So that that growth piece and, and where you are, you know, we have people joining in the fire service that are 18 years old, 25 years old, 30 years. We have late career people that are in their 40s. Well, a 40-year-old recruit firefighter is in a completely different place as far as what they need as a recruit firefighter student, as a mentor, and as a coach than a young adult that just graduated from high school and, and got the winning lotto ticket and is getting, getting into a career fire department or volunteer fire department at the age of 18. They are in completely different places and have completely different <laughs> needs. Now for the stupid fire service example, when I started in the fire department, there was a bunch of bunch of people that were around my age that were, you know, that had a similar background. We all came from a volunteer fire departments. We were way into the fire service. We were going to school. We were doing these things. You know, after we were working 10s and 14s, so after a day tour, you can maybe go out, grab a beer. There was there was a softball league. There was all these different things that that fit with that with that group and that, you know, went on for a period of time. And then things happened. People got married. People had children. People had a house. People had responsibilities. People no longer had time to go out for a beer after work because their life was in a different place. And rather than looking at them as like, you're a terrible human. You can't go out with me and have a beer after work. Well, no, they're in a different place. And at some point you will be in that different place too. The same with the people walking in the door. You had people coming in that that had, you know, that were from, you know, 
farming background or, you know, they, they were used to tools and equipment and, and manual labor and things like that, that, that had skills relative to, to what the fire service needed at the time that, you know, all the other, you know, that we didn't need to teach that. Well, now we have people coming in with a different set of skills that maybe we have to change what and how we teach because the, the lifespan development is different than the people walking in the door. And that's not, that's not just based on age and, and, and date of birth. And it's the lifespan development theory, the same as sort of like the situational examples. Like we were reading a lot of articles about this before. And one of the examples was, oh yeah, people say, you know, millennials are lazy and that's why they can't buy a house. Well, maybe they can't buy a house because they were born at a time when, you know, as they approach the age when they might be buying a house, there's like a decade of economic downturn. You know, so it's not about the individual; it's about the situation. Or because baby boomers are buying all the houses and jacking up the prices. Those dang baby, well, the, baby boomers. <laughs> yeah, baby. Well, think about it. Think about it in the context of today: is how hard is it to, you know, real estate prices? I don't care where you are in, you know, in the country. If you're in a metropolitan area, you're in resume speed Iowa. Real estate, real estate prices are stupid. You know they're they're excessive. So is it is it hard for somebody even with a, a well paying job and, and, and stable finances to buy a house? Absolutely, but that has nothing to do with with when they were born. The other interesting thing, and there was some research done too, is is younger adults today watched everything that their parents did to have and own a house. That, that and all the work that goes with that. I got to mow the yard. I got to do maintenance. I got to do upkeep and all that. And they're like. I want to go hang out with my friends. I want to maybe go to a show. I want to sleep. So maybe I don't, maybe I want to have an apartment at this point in my life or a condo where I don't have to sacrifice my off time or whatever, you know, discretionary time that I have to, to mow in the lawn or plant a garden or all the other things that, that other people did to own a house. So it's, it is, yeah, it's easy to go like, well, they're not buying, you know, they're, that's happening because they're a millennial. Well, maybe happening because a variety of other circumstances are dictating their reaction. And with that, though, too, like you know, when you buy a house, you uh, you have to mow the yard, so you you all of a sudden know how to you learn how to do that. You you get probably a little bit more uh, introduced to tools, and and uh, you we were we were talking before too that you know in some curriculums they started to integrate in you know tools one on one because they're maybe not as commonly used at with the younger generation because of the fact they may not own a house, but you know, which also then means we need to tell our, our current generation or older generations, how to utilize, you know, Google maps better, how to utilize technology also, right? Like it, it goes both ways here. Um, Absolutely. But but elaborate a little bit about adding curriculums now and, and how that uh, can really help. So a number of years ago, I was adjunct instructor for the Connecticut Fire Academy and, and did a lot of teaching in a recruit program. And it became evident that that young adults coming into the program um, didn't, you know, had never taken anything apart. So they didn't have familiarity with tools. It's like, they're not defective humans. They don't, they just have never experienced that. So it's like, okay, we need to teach screwdriver, Phillips, flat blade, different sets of pliers, hammers, striking, forces, leverage, physics, fluid motion, all of those things that perhaps somebody that worked in a factory or a farm or was an electrician or plumber came pre-wired with. So again, not 
not a heavy lift, not like 77 hours of curriculum, but a solid day or so in very early because then you build upon that in additional curriculum elements. And then it's like, well, you know, you have an, an academy made up with a large number of students from from perhaps an urban environment or lived in an apartment their entire life and never mowed a lawn. It's like, all right, here's how you start and run a lawnmower, leaf blower, snow blower, all the, the things that we encounter in the fire service, you know, Here's how to run a mop. Here's how to make a bed. Here's how to cook a meal. Here's how to cash a paycheck. You know, it's like all the things that that perhaps, you know, you take in some total that not everybody is going to come pre-wired for. That the need to figure out how we meet people where they are, understand what their life was before they came into the fire service, and then how the fire service can can take advantage of their skills before they walked in the door. To your point, maybe they, they're a tech whiz. Maybe they they understand, you know, a, an area that we have very, very little knowledge of or very, very understanding of. Um, and, and then how do we add to them the things that, like, here, here are some core skills that we need need you to learn um, in order to, to be better. I'll, I'll use another, another easy example. Police, um, when I was in East Hartford, we shared public safety complexes, police department headquarters, fire department headquarters, um, our our main fire station and all the admin staff. And then the, the police station was on the other side of the wall. Um, police chief is a tremendous human, good friend of mine, and was telling me, a, telling me a story that, you know, they had a recruit police officer that went to the academy, graduated, did well, struggled a little bit in the driving piece, came out, she was going through a field training officer, struggled with the driving piece, did not do well at all. Up until the point where they were getting the employment relationship, she couldn't complete certain job performance requirements relative to driving. And then she's like, well, wait a minute, what's going on? So they finally asked. She grew up in an urban environment, took mass transit for her entire life, didn't get her driver's license until about six months she applied for a police officer job. Well, I'm sorry, you can't go from six months of driving experience to driving, expect, meeting the expectations or, of driving a cruiser in an urban environment for a police department and expect that to go really, really well. So by asking those questions and understanding where she was at, they could figure out a way to get them better. And I, I think there'll be more and more of that. You know, you get somebody that's on their wheelie board rolling into the firehouse to work their tour. And it's like, hey, here's the 78,000 pound fire truck. Have at it. Have a nice day. And they get to go like, oh, what do I do with this? No, no. Yeah. Where are the be keys? Busy training. Yeah. Where's the yeah. keys? Where's, where's the keys a button? Well, and, and the urgency behind this is the fact that you know, research shows that the younger generations are changing careers more than ever, correct? Yeah, yeah it, it's, you know, some, when we were doing some study on recruitment and retention for the career fire service in, in Connecticut, really, really bright people are like, hey, you know, you need to be aware that younger adults today are going to have between five and seven careers in their lifetime. And or not five to seven jobs, five to seven careers. And and you think about the, the career fire service, you know, that is, that is an interesting phenomenon for the volunteer fire service because if they're able to stay in the same community and have five to seven careers, now you have the opportunity to get five to seven more skill sets for them to add value to your volunteer fire department. In the career fire service, if that means they're going to come into the career fire service, go through recruit, get trained, get pretty good, maybe get one promotion or two promotions, and then wake up one day and go like, I'm out. I'm going to go be a rodeo clown or electrician or, you know, a lawyer or whatever the next cool thing is that I want to do. We're the fire service is wired to be a life or deal. And, and we we're not equipped for people that, I mean, we struggled to get people in the door now and up to speed. Imagine if that's amplified because we have this churn 
because it's either not interesting enough. That was one of the things in, in the, the FR1, what, what firefighter want survey is, you know, the, the opportunities for advancement is, is how, what's that, what's that balance between I know enough to be able to do my job. How do I start to learn the job above me? We're shorthanded. Is that going to shrink my promotional opportunities and all those things come into bear and it's, it, it creates a very interesting dynamic. Especially if we're not teaching and connecting with them, right? Yeah. If we're not teaching them yeah. and asking the right questions from the beginning. But there's mm -hmm. also situational factors at play because, you know, again, the older generations, maybe like they knew they were going to have a pension and that's yeah. not a guarantee anymore in the fire yeah. service, right? In some places. So that could change every, anyone's perspective on staying or going. It, absolutely. Because before and it was like, you, you know, golden handcuffs kind of like, you know, you have to stay. Yeah, you, you've got, you're going to get, you're going to get a pension. You're going to get healthcare, both things that are, that are, that don't have that level of certainty today. And, and with that, you know, if they're, they have a 401 or 457, whatever the construct is in that community. And they're like, well, wait a minute, I can hop over the line and, and make $2 an hour more or, or lateral into another position. Then you get people that are chasing the dollar, which which further destabilizes what's going on. I, and I think you will see, you know, I'm not sure it'll go completely backwards, but you may see in the near future a time where they re where municipalities recognize the fact that a pension may be a retention tool. Healthcare may be a retention tool. Um, to mm -hmm. keep people engaged, but Sam, to your point, is is meeting people where they are and, and training them. I, you know, think about the fire, the senior fire service leaders that you've had walk through your organization or that you've encountered, and what the benefit would be to a new person is, you know, I looked at one of our the, the senior man in my organization retired the day of his sixty fifth birthday because we had a requirement that you couldn't work past sixty five. So, you know, senior shift commander still is engaged the day he left as he was the day he started, but he was leaving because he had to, because he turned 65. What an immense benefit to the organization would be if we could vacuum, say, harvest all of his institutional knowledge about the fire service, about the fire department, about the community before he walked out the door and how we retain that institutional knowledge in a way that now we can unplug it out of him and plug it into the new employee to shorten their learning curve. And unfortunately, there's just there there aren't many good systems to be able to do that. But it it would be a, a complete game changer for the fire service for sure. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that uh, technology, right? Uh, we, I mean, what's your thought? If we start embracing technology a little bit more, we can actually tap into that. You know, video like we had talked about nano um, nano lessons you know, infographics, you know, we're a society where it's what, uh, what, an eight to 10 second attention span. Now, of course, that's labeled to that younger generation. Are you seeing that all the way across the board just because of our environments? So what, let's take that in two pieces. One, think about how cool it would be the next department function. You set up a video camera, a chair and a green screen, blue screen, and just tell people whenever they have you know, and, and grab, grab the old people, grab the people that, you know, that have been retired for 20 years, retired for 10 years that, you know, our, we're fortunate, our oldest living retiree lived to be like 103. And he was just, it was so cool to be able to sit at the Christmas party and, and talk to Sam and, you know, understand what, what the place was like, you know, back then, but to let them sit down and, and dump their bucket and, and share what it was like, and then start doing that 
you know, on, on the members last day or their last week or their last couple months, it's like, let's do a, a vlog about, uh, of, of, of what, you know, what your life and your, your career was. So I think that would be hugely beneficial and you could edit it and parse it and then put it together into something valuable, you know, cat categorize it, you know, both incident and, and, and non-incident information. To your other point, I think part of the challenge is in, in it, it's because of pace. I think everybody's just so doggone busy is to get folks to, to slow down and, and, you know, think about the four o'clock coffee, afternoon coffee in the firehouse used to be like the, the unviolatable rule. You know, there was, there were certain things like we're going to, you know, we're going to sit down, we're going to have afternoon coffee. Guys, companies are so busy now. It's like, we might be lucky to do that sometimes, but you can't count on it anymore. You know, the, the get up and, you know, have sit on the park bench in front of the firehouse when the sun's coming up to have that, you know, those stupid conversations that we have in the, in the firehouse. You know, it, I think because departments are busy, I think people are busy. I think we keep adding things to the, the workforce to like, Hey, this needs to be done. We, you know, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that in a critical way because you look at what's, you know, we're, we're fleshing out, you know, community paramedicine, other community engagement, community risk reduction, you know, the things that, that make the fire service, the robust service delivery entity that it is that, oh, by the way, we still have to be good at fire fires too, because we're, we're the only ones that are going to go do fire stuff. Everybody else, somebody yeah. else might do some of these other things, but we're the only ones going to show up and do fire stuff. But to be able to do that in a way, in a pace that doesn't overload people, because you can see it, and I'm sure you experience it on, on a, on a regular basis that it's like, can we just have a day? Like, can we just have a day that, that we're not like running to death and 47 admin details and 12 drills and, and all the rest where we can kind of catch our breath and maybe put a deep clean on the engine and clean up the firehouse and have a decent meal and actually have conversations with each other, I think has tremendous value for a number of reasons. Yep. But you're saying, I, I see it. Uh, yes. Um, you know, I also see a fire service that's tired you know, uh, and part of it is our own doing, I think with some of our schedules and sleep and, um, but then, you know, we just keep throwing more and more on our plate. And I think, you know, and maybe in some of that isn't necessarily just, you know, generational gap. It's, it's like you, we were talking about, this is cultural, this is our societal kind of environment. And that's kind of creating, um, you know, creating where we are in the fire service. Uh, do you think we're adapting to that? Well, I, I think, there's a, going to be a tremendous opportunity for people like Dr. Sarah Janke and what um, and Denise Smith and Dr. Dr. Jen Taylor to do a, a retrospective study of what the lasting, not from a medical perspective, but from a fire service culture perspective of the, you know, what the hangover from the pandemic looks like. Because I think when you talk about people being tired, I think that that literally felt like dog years. Like it, you know, everybody was, you know, the, the great unknown added tremendous stress. The the supply chain added tremendous stress. Taking care of people, tremendous stress. You know, all the unknowns, tremendous stress. And then the pace was just ridiculous. Um, you know, so I, I think there will be an opportunity in the future to do a retrospective to look at what, you know, what that, how long that hangover lasted because it sure wasn't, you know, like a normal hangover. Um, but I, I agree with you that the the pace is is a lot. I mean, and it's but it's what the community demands, right? So we we need to figure out a way to address it, and and some of that is is perhaps changing some things that 
at how we look at schedules and and how we how we roster people and how we do time off and, and all of those things. What what do you think about you know the gen the the younger generations relying on nine one one? This kind of shift in our, our gear a little bit, but we're still talking about generational things. What what's your thought on on nine one one has all of a sudden become a means of healthcare instead of emergency care? It's yeah. it's right like. And that obviously adds stress. Do you see that also as you, as you travel around and, and compile the data of, throughout the country? So one of one of the interesting overlays in NPOR's analytics is the ability to look at your fire department's data relative to census data, including the American Community Survey, which includes social vulnerability index, and the ability to look at not just what you're doing, how you're doing it, where you're doing it, and identify the populations that you serve. And, and to your point, you know, when an adult is is off their parents' payroll and perhaps they're, you know, they're not working a job that has healthcare or healthcare is stupid expensive, um, you know, that that 911 or or you're you're in a population that can't afford healthcare, doesn't have access to healthcare, you know, people people have their doubts that if they go to the minute clinic that it's actually going to be a minute before they're seen. Or if they go to the emergency room, we were I was work an event an event in new hampshire this weekend and they're like hey the closest hospital is on diversion because the wait they've got like x number of people in the waiting room the wait time to be seen is is 16 hours so that's not good you know that's not good in, in any system but people we've you know the fire service is doing a really good job of if you call we're going to show up we asked you know and i'll use the the chief runacini line we asked we asked two questions where are you and what's the problem? And then we'll show up and try to fix it, whatever that is. And that that also goes to, to EMS. We're gonna show up and we're gonna try to fix it. Now, depending on where you are and what that looks like, it, but there is a huge segment of the population that is their only access to healthcare and will be their only access to healthcare for a very long period of time. So needs to be mindful as we, as we plan our systems and our responses accordingly. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at thefirestore.com for everything but the truck. Now, back to the show. Yeah, very trying times, and I think this then goes back to the emphasis on leadership. How do we adapt to this? How do we look at the data? And then uh, how do we communicate with our own members and educate our own members and train our members, right? Like this is, even though we're talking about generations, I think we're talking about just, this is the, this is the challenge of the fire service, right? It, it is. And think about the number of, you know, the number of, of old school bosses that would like lose their mind when you go like, well, why, how come, why is it that way? Why is it that why do we do it that way? What is this? And why is, you know, the, the why question. Well, that's a tremendous teaching opportunity because in, in oftentimes, all I want to know is why, like explain to me, make it make sense to me, make it have value for me because if it's value for me, I'm more likely to do it. And I'm more likely to do it at a high level rather than this robotic, you know, somebody told me I have to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to put my head down. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do nothing more. And when I'm done, I'm done. As opposed to understanding why X is first, then Y, then Z and what the outcome should look like and why that matters to the person that lives at the more coral walking well don't walk so i i think 
it tests our communication styles. I te think it tests our teaching styles. I think if you're doing training programs today, the same way you did them in 2010, 2000, 1980, then it's no wonder that your success rate probably isn't that good because people learn in different ways. People have different um, different learning styles. And I think it's important for us to figure out what those are. You know, to, to your point, instead of doing a four hour training session, you know, in the, you know, all right, we're going to do, we're going to train on, on hose this afternoon. Is that, is that broken up into a bunch of 15 minute drills? Is that broken up into 20 minute segments? Is that broken up into, you know, some, some building blocks and then we're going to do this at the end. I, you know, that's up to, to smart people to figure out, but there's probably better ways to do it than, than some of the ways we've done it in the past, which is, you know, I, I don't know anybody that's excited about sitting and, and parsing through 47 billion PowerPoint slides. Well, you know, guess what? No, nobody wants that. So let's stop doing it. Doesn't this really kind of come back to the root of the issue of why the generational names became so popular is because they became shortcuts for people and yeah. sort of like, okay, well, I've got a crew a new crew that I'm overseeing and they're all in their twenties, let's say, you know? And so, yeah, so there's these useful shortcuts and they th think, okay, we've got a new crew. They're all about 20 years old ish. That makes it nice. Cause I can put them in this little box. I know how they learn, you know? So I think there's a resistance maybe even to doing away with the generational uh, descriptors, right? Because, uh, well, let's face it, some people use it as a crutch in a way. Um, so then are we asking leaders then to really lead by individual? Is that the only other option? Well, I, I think it has to be because we'll use your example. So we've got this this box full of 20-year-old, 20-ish young adults. So we can we can block them into the, to the same generation. But then when we look at those 20-year... The, those those three young adults, one of which is is a paramedic. So they've got you know some advanced A and P training. They understand chemistry. They understand drugs, but you know perhaps they you know they're scared of fire heights in the dark. One of them was a college football player, so he can tackle large things and lift heavy things. But you know you ask him to thread an IV cat you know catheter, not going to work out so much. And then. The other one has a technology degree from from MIT and, you know, can tell you how to rewire the microwave, but can't tie their own shoes. So now you and those again, three wicked, terrible, gross generalizations. But when you look at that, like that's that's, you know, what what we're we're dealing with. So and it's across the thing. You have a 30 year old, a 20 year old, and a 50 year old. It's like, well, you need to look at each one of those. And I look, I get it. I was a lieutenant for for a significant period of time. I was a battalion chief for a while, chief department for a while. What I am saying is hard work. It, but guess what? That's what leadership looks like, is, is how are you going to get buy-in? How are you going to get people to understand what you, the organization needs, what we need to do to be, to, to be successful at that is, is hard work. And it might take, I don't know, a little bit longer to figure out how they're wired and, and what they need in order to be successful. But I'd probably guarantee you, no matter how homogenous your crew looks, they probably have different needs in order to be successful. Yeah. All right. I'm going to throw you on the spot here. 
I'm going to put you back in the Chiefs position because you're bad at retirement. We already said that. <laughs> I'm going to put you back there, and I'm going to I'm going to ask you, you know, to all of our listeners that are either Chiefs or maybe they're battalion Chiefs or they're lieutenants or maybe they're just you know one of the leaders of their crew. You know, give me um, what are three things that you would really focus on and integrate when you're talking about um, co- connecting and training the. I shouldn't say the next generation, just connecting and training the fire service in general right now. What would you do and utilize? So I think the art of conversation becomes really, really important to be able to sit down either in small group or or one-on-one leading to a small group to have that dialogue to to get people, you know, to, to first let's set expectations because understand what my expectations are for you. I need to hear what your expectations are for me. That's that's a massive step that I had, a, I had an old school captain. I got transferred into his firehouse. He had a yellow line pad of paper that he had a call. Anytime anybody got transferred in or detailed in, they had a company meeting and he went over everything on that yellow line pad of paper to set the expectations. It provided a refresher for the incumbent members and it set the tone for the new new member coming in that everybody knew, understood what the captain's expectations were and how the house worked. I think that's massive because otherwise we're just trying to figure stuff and mumbling around trying to figure stuff out. So art of conversation, setting expectations. There's There's a book called Crucial Conversations that I think is incredibly important for any any fire officer or any adult really to to read because it helps you with those really difficult sticky conversations yep right there really difficult conversations that that are uncomfortable that are difficult that are sticky but yet lead to a tremendous outcome that get us in such a better place so i think that is is a good resource and and i think you know be uncomfortable be comfortable being uncomfortable I spent a lot of time asking questions I really didn't want to hear the answer to because it was either going to be work for me or work for somebody else, or we're going to have to buy something we can't afford. Oh, well, that's the way that welcome to the fire service. So I think that is, is too, is the, the nature of inquisitiveness is being comfortable asking the why, asking the how come, understanding what we're doing. And then if you don't have the answer going on the search for that, and that was one of the things that, that I thought of before is, is to not as a boss, to not regardless of rank, um, to not take that as like a personal offense that somebody is challenging you. They might be challenging you to be better. They might be challenging you to, to share your knowledge. They're not challenging your authority. They're not challenging your rank or your position. They're asking the question because they want to be better. They either have an innate curiosity or they've figured out something that they need to know that you've never told them or nobody's ever told them. So how about we take a couple minutes and, and spend with them to, to do that? Do you think the conversation about generations is eventually going to get to a point where, because more and more people are saying generational differences don't exist, like we got to do away with them. Do you think it's actually going to get to a point where it's almost like considered discrimination, biased? You know, I was, uh, we have this article by um, Captain Davidson, uh, he wrote this back in 2020, and he was saying, beware the crutch of the generational differences conversation, right? And he, one of the things he said was, imagine a leader in your organization making the following statement. Firefighter Smith is a fill in the blank with, you know, sex, race, you know, sexual orientation. And because of that, they are fill in the blank with something using these terms. And they said, 
same thing. Imagine because Firefighter Smith was born in fill in the blank with a year, they will be and then fill in the blank with a <laughs> characteristic that you right. would normally ascribe to a concussed koala, which let's just say concussed koala is a really great phrase. But like, is it going to become one of these things where it's seen as like a no, no, you can't you can't talk about people in terms of generations. I just hope we get smarter that, that we don't crutch on it and that it's like it, it's not a thing anymore because we've figured out that, you know, that's that's the neat thing about the fire service is for the most part, we are a perpetual organization. We were here before. We're going to be here, you know, a generation from now. And the people, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the people that are there are different people. And that's going to continue to change. Like nobody, you know, you don't see a lot of a lot of people that, you know, stay there until they're you know, until they're in their nineties or whatever, there's this continued rotation of people in and out. Um, so we, I, I look forward to the day where we just figure out that, you know, we can meet people where they are, that people are people, they bring different tools, they bring different experiences, and we're going to leverage the heck out of those to be a better department. And in that process, we're going to teach them some really, really neat things that they didn't come pre-wired with that may be different than the last group of humans that, you know, did come pre-wired with. Yeah. And along the way, we're going to make ourselves better. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. we, we, it, and sometimes that's, wouldn't you agree? That's where we need to start. Maybe leaders uh, need to understand, you know, maybe they don't have the answers and in some cases they're getting challenged. So, you know, what, what would you say to, to that side of, of, of uh, leadership? I, what, if, if you're not, if you're not challenged, which, like I can't imagine being in a fire chief position, not, not being challenged every single day or, or, or challenging yourself every day. But, you know, the minute you get get comfortable, you need to worry about what you know, what dumb things happening next. Um, but I think you need to you need to challenge yourself from an educational perspective is is look at things and go learn things that that were not prevalent in, in your fire service career when you were coming up that, you know, they didn't have a class on. Um, you know, how to, how to ensure diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging were, were primary factors in the things that you do around the fire service. How to, you know, what, what technologies exist beyond what you carry in, the, in your pocket? What, you know, what the modern fire ground looks like? You know, what, what advanced fire behavior and, and the modern fire ground looks like and, and how we do that. That if, if you are stuck, you know, I did a, you know, I did a, a, a brief, a couple brief seminars last year that we can't solve 2022 problems in 1982 data. Um, and we, we can't solve 2023 problems with, with 1993 ways of doing things. I mean, the, there are some, you know, there's some really, really core things relative to the fire service that, that are, and, and, and there's only three of them that, that, that are unviolatable and, and that should never change. The, the, the first is, you know, we are there to provide service to the, to the public. You know, if your name is not on the side of the fire truck, that fire truck, that firehouse, the fire department belongs to the community and we're there to provide service. When people call our our mission, our job, your only job is to put yourself between the human and the problem and make it better. Whatever that looks like, that's what we do. The second piece is we need to live up to the T-shirt tattoo logo wear bravado that says we are our brother and sister's keeper and actually do that. And then, yes, if that means you're rolling around 
in the parking lot of a social function, wrestling a guy's car keys out of their hands to keep him from doing something stupid, then yes, that's my expectation that you do that. So we take care of the citizens. We take care of each other. And then the last one's really simple. Fire trucks are red. Other than those three, <laughs> other than those three, everything else is up for discussion. So if everything that we do in the, in the, the modern environment and, and the way the fire service changed leverages those three things, we'll be fine. But, you know, we can't, we can't go adrift from those three things, but we can approach those three things with a different set of humans and have the same positive outcome for the citizens in the organization. Which, uh, what's one training you would recommend every fire chief or leader in the fire service to do, to, to get, I know you mentioned like crucial conversations. I think that's a, uh, obviously I, I, we, that, that was unrehearsed. I've been reading it. It doesn't have enough pictures for me, but I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Well, oh, what's man. another one? Like, so, uh, you know, like, again, of our listeners, they want, they want to take something, what, what's going to make them a better leader that and maybe you wish you would have done when you were, um, um active. Man, there's, there's so much, and this is going to be all over the place. Um, so, so bear with me, go find the 1940s. I got, it's on the shelf behind me, the 1947 copy that NFPA published of Lloyd Lehman's fire tactics book and read it and understand it and, and understand those formative things that are now leveraged in today's modern fire tactics. Find Dr. Frank Brannigan's original building construction for the fire service book, the blue hardcover one. And there was one earlier than that and read that. Um, I got to spend a lot of time listening to, you know, Frank Brannigan, Alan Brunacini, you know, some, some really, you know, Jerry Tracy from FDNY, you mentioned chief Salka, you know, guys that, that had tremendous credibility in the business. You know, I, We'll get to it in a minute, but, you know, uh, when Tom Brennan was the, the editor of, of fire engineering, he, he was the fire before he was the editor, he was the, the fire chief of Waterbury. And that was just, you know, having him next door and being able to listen was, was really, really good to seek out those people and listen to them. And then, you know, be honest. I think part of it is being honest with yourself with what you don't know. I mean, I was, I was a kid from, from the country. So there was a lot of stuff that I had to learn about, about working in the urban environment and, you know, fire service culture and, and career departments and things like that, that it's like, all right, I need to challenge myself. I think if you're not taking, if you're not taking advantage of the opportunity for the free stuff that FSRI is doing, if you're not taking advantage of the, the anti-bullying uh, DEI program, the IFC is built that they, that they'll do and they're doing it at FRI tremendous opportunity i mean there's just there's opportunities like that to learn things and to to again you you have to go in there with an open mind to be able to go like all right i'm gonna, I'm gonna learn some shit today it might scare me a little bit and it might debunk something that i've, I've held as as close you know to me as as you know as, as other things you know but but that's how we grow right you know you're not going to grow if you're not comfortable uh if you're if you're not uncomfortable so i think you know Never say no to a learning, teaching, learning opportunity. And then that's the other thing too, is to take those little nuggets um, and bring them home to your organization and share them where appropriate, when appropriate, and use them to, to, to make the people around you better. That's, Whether they know that, it or not, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting. And Janelle and I both just paused there because obviously that that's the whole premise of us creating this is, yeah. is it's, it's about making yourself better than then you know, uh, then 
pay it forward. Push that to someone else. <laughs> pay it forward, right? And 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 that's how we get better. Now, if I if I'm paying it forward and you don't believe in that or don't uh, or question it, there's no problem with that. Let's have a conversation right. about that, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's what this is all about. Um, and I think that's so very well said, and almost so well said that it's perfect timing to flow into what we call our hot seat questions, where we change it up just a little bit. Um, if you've listened to the program at all, you know that Janelle's mom and my mom are very big fans. For a while, they were only two. I think we're up to 10 now. Um, we need merch. We appreciate. If, it, if yeah. you had merch, you get more fans. You know, that's I, you know, I've been telling them that. I'm trying to get some merch. We're trying to get, uh, you know, we got to get the, the boss on here sometime. I mean, other than you, Janelle, but we're working on that. Uh, these hot, these hot seat questions, uh, they're, you know, they're a little bit more uh, quick uh, witted and um, dig a little bit more into in, into who you are. And Janelle, of course, uh, is chomping at the bit because you are uh, one of her advisor or on her advisory board. So of course she's uh, <laughs> she's can't wait to to start this one off. So we're gonna have Janelle start with this. Well, I mean, I have to start with the hard hitting questions first. Um, what is your favorite <laughs> Hall and Oates song? Oh my goodness! If you knew, like literally. Every single like hotel I check into, rental car, like I'm sorry, I know I had to do it. Or to like, where's Daryl Hall? And I'm like, you know, I've, yeah. I haven't heard that in at least five five minutes. minutes? Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> thank you. Um, geez, I didn't like. I don't. I don't know. They're just. It was it's okay. Let, you let, can let's have. All, no, no, no. Let's all be honest. There was a bad period of music in the eighties. Like there was some bad eighties music that really like should just go in a box somewhere. And there was a, a bunch of is it called of... yacht rock? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wham. Or Wham. is it like anything with a saxophone solo? Maybe there's like a lot of sax solos, I think, going on. Come on, there. Careless Whisper is a classic. Hating on Kenny G. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got a better one for you. Okay. A better one. All right. Um, what's your favorite generation? No, I'm kidding. I'm actually kidding. <laughs> Good. Um, Mine, of course. I know. I gotta, and that's the funny thing. Gen X all the way, baby. Gen to. X. I have no idea. I don't know. No, I'm just teasing. But thinking about our discussion about generational differences and how we're tossing that out the window, when we're talking just about individuals and people, over time, what's the one trait that you've said, you know, if you, whether you're looking to work with somebody, hire them, whatever it is, what is like that thing that you look for? And you're like, that's how I know I want to work with you. So I think authenticity is, is kind of a big thing, right? The, the what you see is what you get, that you're coming through the door and, and here, here I am. It, you know, if you like me, if you hate me, whatever, like here I am, this is, this is who you're getting. So I think authenticity helps. Um, strength of character to to be able to kind of to to not to be able to go through the bumpy spots and and not bounce back from adversity but bounce forward um i'm a big fan of persistence you know i, I think you know if, if we if we give up the minute something gets hard it, it usually doesn't lead to a to a to a good outcome so persistence is big and i'm not and you guys have probably figured this out i'm not I'm not one for yelling and screaming. So the, you know, kind of a, a, a an engaging, but like, you know, kind of calm personality that like we can have dialogue, we can have conversation. We got passionate dialogue and conversation, but once, once the volume goes up, the sense comes down. So I think it's, it's good to be able to have, <laughs> I like have, that. You know, have, a, have a, a 
what I what I fondly term as the grown up conversation, and that's not that's not generational. That's just you know the that's just a term. I, I like that. I like that. When when the volume comes up, the sense goes down. Speaking of volume, uh, a great question, and I mentioned this intro, in your intro about um, your involvement with the uh, technical committee for safety for motorsports venues. Um, tell me a little bit about. What is your favorite venue? How did that come about? And are you a Formula uh, or a NASCAR guy? So, little history. Uh, 1998, a fire marshal in Lake County, Florida, petitioned the NFPA and said, I've got this little dirt track in my jurisdiction that I have zero enforcement authority. And I really, even if I did, I would have no idea where to go. So I think you should do something about that. And funny story, I've actually been to that racetrack. Um, so, um, he petitioned the NFPA and FPA Standards Council took it up. They asked for public input. They got 37 people to answer back that said not only no, but hell no, which is basically the entire motorsports community. And two individuals, myself and one other, said, yes, you need to do that. Because at the time I was spending, spending a lot of time at, at racetracks. So um, I've, you know, I'm from New England. So asphalt modifieds are a big thing. Dirt modified sprint cars. Um, favorite venue, one of my favorite, you know, favorite racetracks on the planet is a little place called Cornwall Speedway in Cornwall, Ontario. It's a tiny little dirt track in the middle of nowhere, but it's just such a cool place with cool people. Um, I've been fortunate to be in, to go to racetracks in oh, 36 different states or something like that. And and nifty cool people meet a, a ton of neat people. So I just like, I like racing. I like the, I like the personalities. I like the technology. I like the people. So I just, I'm not, I'm not snobby when, when it comes to one form or another, I, you mentioned NASCAR. I worked the NASCAR event at Loudon this weekend. Um, so I, I'll go, but I also worked the dirt track down the street, you know, the night before. So favorite I, driver, who's your favorite driver? <sighs> you can't say Ricky Bobby. Cause that's, that's no, um, so over over time, um, huge Tony Stewart fan because you know back in the day when he drove for for Glenn, Glenn Nibel when he in USAC, um, because of that I kind of trend towards uh, Kyle Larson um, today from a NASCAR perspective because the, the kid drives everything. But I mean, there's there's just been, you know, I don't, you know, you go back. There's just so many cool personalities to to root for, and even people you don't you don't maybe don't necessarily have an affinity for. You can respect the talent and look at them and go like they're pretty damn good have you watched that uh formula one drive to survive on netflix i i, I haven't there's just it, it seems like too much drama and and honestly <laughs> it's some of it is a time thing i should i should probably put it on my ipad and watch it on an airplane someday but i just i, I no i yeah. it was recommended to me i have not watched it but i have watched the like sister uh series about tennis and it's oh. done really well so i like I've heard it's phenomenal. I just, I just can't commit. Haven't. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, one of my favorite questions, I love just knowing people's favorite movies, favorite fire service movie and favorite non fire service movie. Oh, so it's, it's funny because some of my favorite movies translate well to the, to the firehouse because they're, they just are. I mean, I've, like I, I don't know why, but like you go back to it, and maybe it's, maybe it's the the story, maybe it's the like I'm I'm a 
I can never get like the Blues Brothers, the movie out of my head. It's like <laughs> one of the best movies ever made. Um, it's just fantastic. I like so if you're if you're asking questions, here's a here's an uncomfortable truth. I have not seen a movie in a movie theater in over a decade. So whoa, blowing yeah, my mind. Just, yeah, just and you know, it it was it's if I've got if I've got time off to 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 spend, it's probably not gonna be in in a movie theater. But um oddly and and yeah, so there's just there's some other really kind of cool ones, but that's that's one fire service movie. They're all terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, I they all they all have entertainment, but as far as you know, an, an attribution to to what it it actually looks like. And people ask me, you know, um, if if you know when it came out, if if there was any realism to backdraft, and I'm like, not really. And I'm like, well, there is one thing. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you know, in the fire, the kid came out and he was like blowing snots out of his nose and puked on the side of the building. They're like, yeah, I'm like that. That that that's that's about it. You know, <laughs> yeah. other than back that, in the day, now they're yeah, just they're, they're, pa- now, they're passing out. Now, now you yeah. better not. But you know, yeah. Then, yeah, that was about it. So, <laughs> well, one final question for you, and this one's deep. Uh, how are you personally working and striving every day to get better? So that's why I love the the title of your of your podcast because you you can't like once the the sun sets and your your head hits the pillow there's no reverse button and you can't you can you can improve on maybe fix something you screwed up but the, that day's done and gone and, and like you need to 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 look up and like all right tomorrow morning is going to be a great day and how do I how do I get better um, I read as as evidenced by the the links that I sent you. I read a lot, and even before I took this this job, I read a lot. You know, the the bookshelf behind you. I, I read stuff that is applicable to the fire service, but doesn't say fire service on it. Um, so I think that's um, that's a piece of it. Um, to challenge myself to to learn something, to to learn things that I don't know enough about. Um, which certainly dealing with data and analytics, I've had the opportunities to, to do that lately. Uh, one of my, one of my focuses has been on wildfire because, you know, I'm from the Northeast. We don't, aside from some oddities that we've experienced over time, we don't have a lot of wildfire, certainly not in Connecticut. So I don't know a lot about it, but I need to. So I've been spending a lot of time looking at research and, and, and wildfire and, and hanging around people smarter than me when it comes to wildfire, because I don't know anything about it. So I think it's, it's being, being enough being aware enough of, of where you are to, to be able to understand that and to not let it be a detriment, not get stuck, you know, I think is, is part of it. Very well said. And, uh, you're right. I mean, that's that when you put your pillow, your head on the pillow, you can't go back. And, uh, um, and and again, that's why we're here. And, and uh, again, thanks chief. Thank you so much for being here. Your insight, um, and just your your candid uh, honesty about you know generations and that their lack of really we have it's all about communicating with people and and uh, and trying to meet them wherever they're at depending upon you know where they're at in life. Uh, any other advice you have uh, for for anybody in the fire service, new, old, uh, in between? Man, it, it's you legitimately have a ringside seat to the most amazing show on the planet. And, and it is, it is literally different every day. I will, I will leave with, with two nuggets. One, one that, you know, that I think is important as, as we have those crucial conversations. And I mentioned Tom Brennan before, one of the things that, 
that he said that is stuck in my brain since then is that we're having a conversation about dealing with with difficult people and difficult subjects. And he said, there is a difference between disagreeing and being disagreeable. And I've tried to take that to heart and, and share it with other people that we can, there is a difference between two, three people disagreeing about how to do something, why to do something, what it is. But there's a, there's a massive difference between that and being a disagreeable human that you just want to fight and argue about everything. So that I think is important. The other piece that I, that with what we talked about with the number of distractions and the pace of everything going on is, is to focus. And again, I don't care if you're chief of department, chief officer, company officer, member writing, facing backwards, pumper driver operator. I don't care who you are, what your role is, have your brain where your feet are. So if your feet are standing in the firehouse, I want your brain to be in the firehouse. And if you are in a place where, where today you can't do that, then I'm not sure you need to be in the firehouse. And, and I say that in recognition of all the things that are like challenges with children, challenges with elderly parents, challenges with paying the bills, challenges with, with life stressors, all those things can create a, a, a extra challenge with having your brain where your feet are. But I think that's a, a, a qualifier that if, if all of us, when we walk, when we cross that, the magic threshold into the fire station that if we can maintain over the course of that time period, having our brain where our feet are, you're engaged, you're engaged in the work, you're engaged in the service, you're engaged in the people around you. I think it will lead to a significantly better um, outcome for not for just for, for you, but for, for everybody that's around you. So well said. Thanks again, chief John Oates. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can uh, see us and, and email us at bettereveryshift at firerescue1.com. And if you're listening to this, just the podcast version, you can uh, go to YouTube and watch us on video. Um, and uh, if you have questions, uh, want to see some of the links and uh, references that Chief was talking about, you can go to the show notes at firerescue1.com. But most importantly, everybody, make sure you learn something, do something, and share something to make you and those around you Better every shift. Thanks for listening.